Great. So uh, uh, we've got Rachel here today. Really exciting. So we're on this series of going through James and uh, going to hand over to Rachel. Right. Good morning, everyone. Okay. So um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Rachel. Um, I'm married to Dave. I've got two lovely children, Daisy and Sam, and um, I've been at Hope for a long time. I think we started coming just after Hope started, but this is a first for me, slightly out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but here we go. Right, I'm going to pray, and then and then we'll begin. Okay. Heavenly Father, um, we just welcome you this morning. I thank you that you are a good, good father, and you have got a message of hope, of love this morning. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and you speak to every one of us this morning. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start by reading um, from James chapter 3. It's the passage called Controlling the Tongue. Um, So if you turn to your Bibles, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but anything's fine. Okay. So, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we will make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that can make grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Okay, so... um, This morning, there are two key words that I want to talk about based on that passage and based on what I feel God has for us today. The two I's. There's influence and integrity. The one we're going to spend most time thinking about is influence. Now, when Charlie spoke on James a few weeks ago, he talked about the directness and the robustness of James as a writer and he, he is really he is really direct. He's really hard in what he says. Um, and, and that passage that we've just read isn't an easy one to read. But as I thought about what I felt God was saying for us this morning, I felt that 
actually he has got a really exciting message, a really hopeful message. And it's based around this word influence. This passage is all about the influence of the tongue. And and from that, I'm taking it to mean spoken words, the words that come out of our mouths. So let's start by getting a couple of images in our in our minds to help us understand it. James um, likens the power of the tongue um, with with two things: with a rudder on a ship. So imagine a huge ferry, a huge ocean liner, um, you know, a, a, a big cruise ship, and. On on any ship, there is a rudder, which is a very small part that's necessary to steer the ship. I've got a picture, a bit of makeshift. Um, Can you see it? Okay, so you've got a picture with the arrow pointing to the rudder. It is a really small part of the ship, but it is crucial for the ship to be steered. Secondly, he talks about um, the tongue being like a bit I'm not an equestrian, I don't really know much about riding, but I looked it up. And so in your minds now, imagine a really large horse, a shire horse, a race horse, um, a large horse with its riding equipment on. And here we go, here's a picture of a bit. So the bit is the small silver part that goes inside um, the horse's jaw. It's part of the riding equipment. And it's essential for um, the horse being a, sorry, for the rider being able to communicate with the horse. In both these images, what James is showing us, what he's trying to illustrate, is that the words that we speak have a comparatively huge influence. Just like the rudder on a ship is small, but has a huge influence on its ability to be steered, and the horse's bit is small, but is crucial in, in, a horse, in a rider being able to ride the horse. The definition of a, of a bit is a piece of metal or synthetic material that fits in a horse's mouth and aids in the communication between the horse and the rider. The bit allows the rider to connect with the horse via the reins. I'm going to say that last bit again. The bit aids in the communication between the horse and the rider. It allows the rider to connect with the horse via the reins. So the purpose of the bit is to aid communication. It enables the rider to communicate clearly and effectively with the horse. And without it, it would be very, very hard for the rider to communicate what it wants the horse to do. So in other words, it's tiny, but it has huge influence. And what James is saying is that our words are seemingly small, but they are an absolutely key tool for God's communication between himself and the world. If you like, God is like the rider, and the bit is necessary for the rider to communicate effectively with the horse. It's necessary for God to communicate effectively with the world. Obviously, God communicates in other ways as well. Um, His messages communicated powerfully through his written words. And 
there were physical interventions, there were miracles, um, acts, acts of grace that also communicate and are crucial. But James is specifically saying here that the words that come out of our mouths are an important and influential tool, like the bit, like a rudder. And he wants to communicate his message of love to the world using our words. He wants to use our tongues, our spoken words for influence. So we're going to home on in on that and think a bit about the power and the influence of our words. We're going to start off thinking scientifically, almost removing God from the picture, although God is part of everything, but we're just going to look quite objectively, quite scientifically. And on a scientific level, words bring life. Um, I am a SENCO, which is a special educational needs coordinator in an inner city primary school. And so I work day to day with children who have difficulties with language, with cognitive function, with their emotional and social capabilities. And I, so I'm, I'm quite interested in the research around the development of the brain. And neurological research shows that language and exposure to language physically grows and builds the brain. Talking with babies, with toddlers, with children, builds patterns for language development, cognitive function, and social interaction. Quite simply, without words being spoken to a child, their brains do not develop fully. Research shows that children's language development by the age of two is the single most reliable indicator of later success. And this is directly linked to the words a child hears in its early years. In other words, the influence of words has been scientifically proven to bring life, to physically grow the matter in the brain. Add to that, though, the spiritual dimension. And God's words bring a whole other dimension of influence and life. There are countless biblical examples of God's words bringing life. Start right back in Genesis 1, and the Bible says, God said, let there be light, and it continues through the creation story. Skip to Isaiah, and he says in in Isaiah 55, my word, I send it out, and it always produces fruit. I'm not going to go into the theology of these verses um, or the many, many other examples of, of the Bible talking about God. God's words, but I think it's important to acknowledge that many of these biblical references are referring to the scriptures. However, I think that anything from God, including words from human mouths that have his spirit behind them and in them, carry an authority and a power which bring life, spiritual and supernatural life. The Bible tells us that we are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says that we are God's ambassadors. And God wants to use us as his ambassadors, as his vessel, to communicate his message of love to the world. He wants to use our words for influence So if ordinary words can affect the neurological development of the brain, how much more can God-influenced words bring supernatural life? 
So I've talked about how God wants to use our words for influence, but how can we learn to do this? How can we learn to be like the horse's bit, to be like a ship's rudder? How can we be responsive to the Father's voice? Clearly, God uses our words in in many different ways, and I'm not really going to focus on that. Um, But I think it's important to, to talk about. So we know that there will be direct teaching, direct teaching from the gospel, from the Bible, um, but through our words. Equally, though, he uses words of encouragement. He uses words of love. He uses words of truth and prophecy and, and many other ways um, that he influences and communicates through spoken words. We need to be aligned and positioned close to God and walking with him so that the words that come out of our mouths are from him and his spirit speaks through us. As James clearly communicates very directly, this is not easy. He talks about us all making mistakes and that if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. It's something we will take time to learn. Probably a lifetime. But but God wants us to start learning it now. And I need you to know that I'm in no way talking as an expert, I, far from it. I'm absolutely at the beginning of learning this, and it feels, to be honest, like I get it wrong more than I get it right. But I feel that God has shown me a few key things that help us to learn to be vessels for his influence through what we say. So, four things. Firstly, none of this is possible without God's power which we receive through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we simply will not have the influence God wants. We can't do it without him. In our own human effort, we will fail. We need his spirit. Secondly, God is so gracious and merciful. James has talked you know, very strongly about how getting it wrong can have a huge and damaging impact, and it can. Saying things we shouldn't can be like a spark causing a huge forest fire. And I'm sure most of us can think of times when we have said something we wished we hadn't, and there has been a significant consequence. But I have learned that God is so gracious, and he will show his grace as we learn to walk with him in this. I have personally learned that as I walk in learning how to control what I say, he increasingly helps me to recognize when I've got it wrong. You know, there might be a little nudge of conviction. There might be an uneasiness of spirit. And if at that point I can come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I've got this wrong, please help. I've seen that often the potential consequences, which could have come from my words, are actually quashed. You know, like a fire extinguisher putting out a fire. He wants to show grace, he wants to show mercy, and he will help us. Number three, for God to use our words for influence, we need to learn to hear his voice. We need to be tuned into him. Now, Jesus, I would say, is the best example of influence through words, and his words have literally brought life to humanity. 
And if we think about how Jesus did it, there are so many times in the Gospels where we are told that Jesus went off to be with his father. And I think that that time, him alone with his father, praying, being in his presence, resting with him, I think that was essential to his ministry, essential to him walking in step with his father and letting his heavenly father work through him. So if Jesus needed that to discern what God wanted of him, how much more do we need it? That will absolutely look different to each of us. Um, There's not one way to do it, but we do all need to do it. Because key to learning what and when to speak is learning to recognize the Lord's voice and his guidance. The more we are tuned in to God, the more we will learn to discern how he wants us to use our words. And it's not just what we say, it's when we speak. When we wait, now isn't the right time. Or when we say nothing. And when we stop. And all of these things, we need to learn to hear from God. Years ago, when I was at university, um, I did a course um, through, well, the course was called the School of Prophecy, run by my church. And there was a session on it called How to Know God's Will. And I thought, awesome, that's what we all want. Brilliant. That'll teach me everything I need to know. Um, But the message was very, very simple, but has really stuck with me. And it's something um, that has massively helped me understand how to to discern God's, God's guidance. And the message was, we learn to discern God's will by our peace. Sometimes God does speak directly. He gives us direct words. But our peace is really crucial in discerning whether it is from God. The man who um, led, led the course gave a testimony, a personal testimony of his that illustrated how he had used his peace, um, the peace of God, to discern what God's will was for him. And it was all around applying for a new job. And he told a story of how he felt like it was the right time to apply for a new job. But, you know, that, that was the right move. So he started applying for jobs. He, he applied for one. He got through the interview um, and he got offered the job. Great, you know, really pleased. He didn't, though, have a direct word from God saying, yes, this is for you or no. He wasn't sure what to do. So he simply said, God, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do here. If you want me to take it, give me your peace in the morning when I wake up. And when he woke up in the morning, despite on paper it being like a good job, um, he felt unpeaceful. So he took the brave decision to decline it. This happened two or three more times. And in the end, a job came up, which he applied for and got. And he did feel peaceful in the morning and he accepted it. This job, this final job, was not one he would have anticipated having at the beginning of the process. But once he was in it, he realized that it absolutely was the right job for him. In fact, all the other jobs he'd ever had prior to this had really prepared him for it. And he could really see that God had guided him into it. But if he'd listened to his human wisdom, if he'd not asked for God's guidance by his peace, if he'd not learned to discern his peace, he wouldn't, he'd have probably accepted the first job and missed out on God's best. This technique of discerning God's will by our peace applies to everything for all of us. 
in all our decisions and including in what we say and what we don't say. It takes time to practice and learn. It's something I have got wrong countless times. Um, I've, I've many a time thought, oh no, I'll, I'll just do this. It's got to be the right thing to do. It's the sensible thing to do. It's my own human wisdom. Um, but I've not been peaceful with it. And, and at those times, things haven't worked out. But equally, there are times when I have followed my peace, sometimes in, in the unobvious ways, sometimes in surprising ways, and God has moved. So we've talked about three important things to know in learning to let God use our words for influence. Firstly, needing his power. Secondly, that he is gracious. And thirdly, to learn to walk with him and discern his voice and guidance. Fourthly, for God to use our words to communicate his love for influence, we need to trust him to speak and then we need to to act. Sometimes we might know that God wants us to speak, but we don't know exactly how to say it. We might not know what to say. We don't know We don't know how to do it. Peter, in Acts, is an amazing example of a man who trusted God. He trusted the Holy Spirit to speak through him. And that resulted in huge movements of power. I suspect that there were many times when he didn't know exactly what he was going to say. He didn't know exactly what to to do. But he knew when he needed to start speaking and he asked God for help that arrow prayer, Lord, help me. I don't know what to say, but speak through me. And then he had the courage and the trust and the faith to do it. We need to trust the Lord to speak through us when he says to speak. So that is, that is influence. In summary, God wants to have significant influence through our words. Like a horse's bit, or a ship's rudder, he wants to communicate his message to the world, his message of love through our words. But there's a second word, the second I, integrity. And I'm not going to spend ages on this, um, but integrity is absolutely key to influence. Integrity simply means the practice of being honest. In other words, being true to our words, acting out what we say. I'll say it again. Integrity is the practice of being honest. Being true to our words and acting out what we say. We've talked about how God wants to use our words for his influence, to communicate his love for the world around us. But if we speak these words yet don't act in accordance with them, people will not believe them. The power and the influence of them will be futile and they will effectively be empty words. For example, if we talk about God's kindness, but are quite selfish in how we live our lives, or we we always put ourselves first, we don't show any empathy, people are understandably going to find it difficult to believe that, that we really know a kind God. If we talk about God loving us, but we don't appear to receive the love by loving ourselves, it's going to be hard for someone else to receive it. We need to live out our words. 
Last week, Aaron spoke about the previous passage in James and the importance of actions to support and act out our faith. This is very, very similar. Just as faith without actions is dead, words without actions supporting what we say are also empty and meaningless. And again, key to integrity is spending time with the Lord, walking with him, allowing his spirit to fill us, to meet us, to speak to us and through us. And this will gradually help us to be transformed into God's likeness so that people will see this, they will sense it, they will sense God in us, and that will naturally bring an honesty and an integrity to what we say. Um, Last week I was reading part of um, Greg's Dirty Glory, and there was a, a passage in that that really stood out at me. He said... I became tired of talking more about Jesus in public than I talked with him in private. Why didn't I know Jesus the way other people seem to know him? Surely there had to be more. And I think Pete, you know, knew Jesus intimately um, at the start of his journey with him. I think he does now as well. But I think what this is showing is that we we need to walk with Jesus. We need to spend time with him regularly. Because we do lose the closeness, we do lose the intimacy, and that affects the integrity of what we say if we are not walking with him on a, on a regular, close, daily basis. We need to prioritise time with Jesus, remaining in him, just like Jesus did with his Heavenly Father. And this needs to be ongoing throughout our lives. There will never be a time when closeness and intimacy with God isn't essential for him to use us, sorry, isn't essential for him um, to be able to use us for influence. It's essential for us to remain close to God for there to be an integrity to what we say. So that is essentially what I have to say this morning. When I started the process of thinking about this talk, reading the passage in James, um, the very hard and direct one, I focused very much on my own failings and how I use my words. You know, the times I've not had the courage to speak, the times I've been critical instead of encouraging, um, the times that a word I've spoken has had quite negative consequences. But, but actually, through seeking God, through thinking about what he wants us to say, what he wants to say to us, he's led me to a place of real excitement and a place of real hope of what he wants to do through me, through us, and in partnership with us all. God wants to use our tiny tongues, our our words, for influence, to communicate his love to the world. And that is both incredibly exciting and very, very humbling. Okay. I think I'll pray. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty, mighty God. And everything about you is good and loving. And Lord, we need you. Our world needs you. I thank you so much that you want to use us as your vessels, as your ambassadors, to use our words to communicate your message of love to the world around us. But we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your power. And so we invite you now to meet with each of us where we are.
fill us, to, to show us what, what this means for us. How can we learn to walk with you and to um, let you speak your words of love to the world around us? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rachel. That's great, wasn't it? And inspiring as well that, 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 that in, you know, we're locked down, um, but, our, but we can still speak and we can still use our words uh, in all sorts of different settings. So that feels to me like a really empowering, empowering encouragement to us. Great. We're going to finish the live stream there. And uh, I've just uh, posted the link to Zoom if you'd like to join us in about five minutes' time, uh, quarter two. That'll be a chance to uh, to pray together, maybe to follow up on anything that's stood out for you uh, from what Rachel shared. Um, uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe that maybe that could be a thing. Maybe come on with something to to, the, to that Zoom uh, that that spoke that, that spoken to you through what Rachel's brought this morning. And um, great, we'll we'll see you there.